Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for joining me today. Hope you've had a great week. And it's another beautiful day here, nice and sunny here in the Twin Cities area. I am uh, looking forward to a little bit of uh, rest and relaxation over the long uh, weekend, the 4th of July weekend, and a little family reunion. It's going to be good. And uh, remember the good old days when you'd put your credit card in at the gas station and it would just ask you for your zip code? Now, today when I got gas, they asked for my mother's maiden name and if I owned or rented. So... I think the stakes have gotten higher. So if you are uh, new to Faith Radio, I would just want you to know, if you're a new listener, we want to let you officially welcome you, but also we have a free welcome pack gift for you. And you can request yours today at MyFaithRadio.com. And this summer, which I always think of the 4th of July as the halfway through the summer, uh, but we're, we're going to bundle up for the summer with Faith Radio's biggest book giveaway ever. So... Each week, we're giving away book bundles on a new theme. So you can sign up to win at MyFaithRadio.com. Like, for example, July 5th through 10th, you can be inspired and reflect and dig deeper with devotions. That's going to be the first bundle giveaway. So we are looking forward to this uh, big, big giveaway we have with books. So thank you for uh, supporting Faith Radio. And and uh, go to MyFaithRadio.com. Check that out. And you can always stay connected to Faith Radio, really, no matter where you are, if you want to listen live or on demand, you can always keep up with whatever we're doing, our latest giveaways and promotions. And if you've not downloaded the free Faith Radio app, I really recommend you doing that. You can go in your Apple Store or Google Play and you can um, download the Faith Radio app and have it available. And it's a great app, by the way. I love the app. And you can uh, get all your programs there, and you can uh, stream live right from the app, and you can find all kinds of really great content there. So that's the place to check it out. So I'm looking forward today to having Ken Samples back on the show. I haven't talked to him in a little bit, but we're going to talk today about, uh, in light of all people being made in God's image, how does historic Christianity view certain life and death ethical issues. So this is not going to be a, a light hour, but it's going to be very engaging. Uh, Ken is at Reasons to Believe. He is both a philosopher and a theologian, and he's a senior research scholar at Reasons to Believe. You can go to reasons.org to learn more about Ken. And he loves uh, to communicate uh, how science, philosophy, and the Bible all kind of harmonize. He's the author of many books, including Christianity Cross-Examined, Classic Christian Thinkers, and God Among Sages. And he's with us today. Ken, welcome. Hi, Bill. How you doing? I'm good. Looking forward to the weekend, and I hope you are as well. Uh, how, yes. how are you and your family? You're all well? Everybody's doing well. I love that. Very blessed by God. Thank you. Amen to that. So I, we're, we're going to kind of get into the deep end of the pool today, aren't we? Yeah, these bioethical issues are, you know, they're they're technical, they're controversial, but boy, aren't they important. They're so important. And really, when these subjects come up, I be, as believers, we have to be ready to uh, engage on a, a level that says we 
we stand, we understand what the Bible teaches, and we also want to engage people and and uh, and let them know that we stand for 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 Jesus. That's exactly right. Yeah. So, I know we've got some six or seven pretty heavy duty topics today to discuss. Um, so let's let's just start looking at some of the historic uh, Christian views on these these ethical issues. Let's start with abortion. That's a biggie. Yeah, very important, particularly in light of the legal reversal of Roe versus Wade. You know, Christianity builds on the Old Testament. And of course, in the Old Testament, people are made in the image of God. Uh, That means they resemble God. They can they can uh, relate to God. They can represent God. And so uh, to, to be made in God's image is to have dignity and to have value. So when we look at the abortion issue, Christians really look at it differently than many secular philosophers do. Uh, for Christians, we say that to have a human nature is to be a person. Mm-hmm. Being Having personhood is all of a part of being a human being. Now, secularists will turn that around and say, no, you reach personhood by achieving certain qualities, like maybe you're self-conscious, you're aware, uh, you know, you can you can react to your environment. But again, a Christian approach would be, no, uh, you, you're not a human developing toward personhood. Rather, you're a human person already that's in development. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's true that babies in the womb are not yet self-conscious, and even even babies who are born, it takes a while before, you know, children are aware of their environment and who they are and who you are. But, you know, think think toward the end of life. There are people who, you know, suffer with dementia of some kind. They may not be self-aware. So, again, the Christian position would be to be a human is to have a personal nature, and that personhood remains whether you're aware of it or whether you have lost it. So that's a very different point of view than saying, no, you're, 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 you're developing, and only when you reach a certain place can you call yourself a person. So babies in the womb are persons. Babies outside the womb are persons. People at the end of their life are persons, uh, whether that whether those qualities are yet to, uh, you know, fully form or whether some of those qualities have been lost. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when you think of Psalm 139, and God knits you together in your mother's womb, there's creation at its uh, at its best. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and, and that psalm talks so so clearly about God's intimate relationship with us that that, you know, he put us in our mother's womb, uh, and that our personhood, our our humanity, our dignity, our value is grounded in the idea that we're made like God. Now, if there's no God, and therefore we're not made in the image of God, how would you argue against abortion? I say something similarly, Bill, about slavery. If if God doesn't exist and people are not made in the image of God, what is the argument against people enslaving other people? This just shows how this idea, this this theological teaching of, we call it the imago Dei in Latin, the image of God, the image of God gives human beings unique dignity and value that cannot be taken away. 
Mm-hmm. Ken Samples is my guest. He's a philosopher and theologian from Reasons uh, to Believe, which he's the senior research scholar there. And we are uh, talking today about historic Christian views of life and death ethical issues. And so uh, abortion, of course, is one of the most emotional, Ken, for sure. And when you talk to any believer, I would say, I don't know too many that don't say from the minute that 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 zygote takes place, there's when life begins right there. There's no doubt about it. In fact, I think the pro-life position has been strengthened by a couple areas of science and technology. One, that uh, there's just no arguing that at conception you have a human life. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, uh, being able to put a a window on the womb and being able to look at, at embryonic development illustrates how much of the the unique humanity that an unborn child has. And so I think in some respects, science has been an, is, has been an advocate for the, uh, the pro-life position to be taken more seriously. Mm-hmm. I have had uh, Abby Johnson on the show and, and other people who uh, have been pro-choice and now they're pro-life, and, and Abby was uh, privy to an abortion. She had to step in and assist, and she said it was a later-term abortion, and she said it was the most horrifying thing she'd ever had ever witnessed, and I think that day she left her job at Planned Parenthood and became pro pro life. Yeah, it's it, it is a you know when you when you think of motherhood, I mean, um, here here is this human life growing within the body of of the mother, and um, you know I know with my mother, I my mom knew when I was sick before I ever knew it. Mm-hmm. My mom, my mom had an intuition about all of her children. There was this, this intimacy, um, and I, I don't think there's a, there's any doubt that this is a, this is a very profound moral act in in an individual's life, and I want to encourage pro life people, you know, to support uh, young women, particularly at an age where they may be, you know, may consider. Uh, pursuing abortion, helping them, uh, giving giving them awareness that there are people who care about them and uh, opportunities for their needs to be met. I think that's very important. So holding the image of God to be of value, Christians should be uh, should be in, involved in in, uh, you know, pro-life activities. Mm-hmm. All right, Ken, I'm going to take a short break. Ken Samples is my guest. He's a philosopher and theologian at Reasons to Believe. We're talking today about historic uh, historic Christian views on life and death ethical issues. So we've started with abortion, and we're going to come back. We're going to discuss infanticide and stem cell research and physician-assisted suicide. So if you have a question about any of these topics, you can certainly send it over, 877-933-2484. back to the show. I was just celebrating a little bit how much I love summer and how I think in my head that 4th of July kind of feels like the midway of summer, midway point. But fortunately, I got a nice listener that said uh, June 21st is the first day of summer. 
So I hope 4th of July isn't the halfway point. <laughs> so I, I agree completely with that. It's just a little quirk of mine. But Ken Samples is my guest, and he is at uh, Reasons to Believe. He's a senior research scholar, uh, philosopher, and theologian. And we're talking about the Christian view of life and death ethical issues today. We've just uh, touched on abortion. And Ken, let's uh, chat a little bit about infanticide. Yeah, infanticide is the killing of a child, right? We Mm -hmm. have homicide, infanticide. Uh, It's very interesting, Bill, that you you have people who have very differing worldviews. Peter Singer is a a bioethicist philosopher at at Princeton University, and uh, he takes the position that parents ought to have two years to decide whether they want to kill their baby or not. And and this is his reasoning. He says, look, um, farm animals, you know, chickens, etc., they have more of an awareness at a quicker point than do, do human children. Mm. And uh, so he's an evolutionist. He is arguing that, uh, you know, we, we shouldn't have human exceptionalism. We should treat all species of beings uh, fairly. Uh, but but that gives you kind of an insight to, to a secular point of view. Uh, and, of course, what's been so alarming over the last number of years in America is that uh, people have been advocating abortion right up to the moment of birth. Mm-hmm. So that moves it away from abortion into infanticide. And, uh, again, you, you, you cited a remarkable passage, Psalm 139, you know, that everything belongs to the Lord. Here, here's kind of the, the Christian biblical reasoning. God is the creator of the heavens and the earth, and so everything belongs to him. Um, and when he created us, uh, he is the author of, of our being, and, and we are completely dependent uh, upon him. And he is the one who says what has worth and, and, and what does not have worth. So the idea that, um, you know, people would decide, well, uh, we could kill a child right up, right up to the moment of their birth or, or in, you know, some crazy society take the life of, of, a, of an infant, maybe because, you know, they have uh, health defects or something. I mean, this, this runs counter to everything that we think of in, in a biblical context, that, that human beings are not just accidental creatures of nature. Human beings have been made by God, and therefore, because they're like God, they have dignity and value in, in a finite way. And so the, the idea of not protecting the most vulnerable, and, and it's not just the beginning of life, Bill, it's at the end of life. Mm-hmm. I mean, in, in Japan, you have uh, people who uh, they, they don't have a lot of social contact. They might be dead for months before anybody discovers them. So this, these kinds of issues are, are growing in importance, uh, and people raise all kinds of questions like, well, you know, taking care of elderly people, that's very expensive. Well, what's more value, the value and dignity of a human life? Um, so infanticide is, uh, it sounds shocking, uh, but people consider it, uh, I think, fairly regularly. I, I can't wrap my head around that, Ken. I mean, that that secular, evil, godless viewpoint is something I can't I can't process quickly on the air with you right now. Well, if there's no God mm-hmm. and we are the product of blind mechanistic natural processes, 
it's it's hard to ground it's hard to justify to come up with a foundation for why human beings you know should be treated in a special sense and again that's why it's so significant that we reason uh, in light of what God has revealed and that we uh, we take positions based upon the value and dignity that God's word gives to creatures who bear the Lord's image. Mm-hmm. All right, let's talk about uh, stem cell research. I know this is another uh, kind of morally charged ethical issue, like everything on your list, so I guess there's there's no easy ones today. There really is not. I mean, when you think stem cell research, obviously, uh, as people have uh, challenges, Parkinson's, uh, Lou Gehrig's disease, uh, they have these very difficult uh, challenges in life. There are times when stem cells, and, and now we can differentiate between two types. You have embryonic stem cells and you have adult stem cells. Uh, there are illnesses, there are diseases that respond well to, uh, in, you know, bringing stem cells into the body. But but here's the very interesting one. Uh, most In most cases, adult stem cells, just as effectively as do embryonic stem cells. So we don't need abortions and then therefore take, uh, you know, the various organs, the stem cells, from dead babies to use in research, uh, humans can donate stem cells. And uh, what we've what we've seen, and I think that this is the way we can argue as a Christian, that there's that because the Lord is the God of life, there's always going to be an alternative that will be there to resolve these kinds of things. So you don't have to you don't have to go to you know raid the organs of unborn children. You can you can get people to donate adult stem cells, and mm. uh, you can continue to have the benefit of it. Ken, I guess I didn't know too much about stem cells. So when you hear of people getting uh, stem cell treatment, that very likely could have been harvested from an adult that who 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 offered them. It, it's very possible. Okay. And 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 again, we can protect the vulnerable. I mean, we can protect the vulnerable in the womb. We don't have to harvest their, their body parts uh, in the womb or after an abortion, nor do we have to ignore people suffering who, who can benefit from stem cells. You can actually donate adults themselves. So, so again, I, I like to raise the issue. Uh, Christians have always looked for ethical alternatives to these life-death issues. So instead of embryonic stem cells, how about adult stem cells? Mm-hmm. Ken, do you know where stem cells, uh, stem cell research has has really um, helped medicine? Is there something in particular that stem cell research has really made a difference in? Well, I, I think again, in many of these um, chronic illnesses, uh, I mentioned Parkinson, I mentioned yes. ALS. There are places where stem cell treatment seems to hold promise. Uh, but again, uh, that's when medicine and technology, medicine and technology have to decide what values they're going to allow to illuminate it. And, you know, if we go looking to harvest, uh, you know, part of the life of the vulnerable ones, then I think medicine and technology are going down uh, a deeply unethical path. 
No, I would agree. Now, are we moving away from that or or heading further in that direction? It's hard to tell for, for me as a person who is uh, not a doctor yeah. or uh, I'm, I'm not a specialist in this particular area, but I know many people uh, who are doctors who refuse to uh, appeal to embryonic stem cells and are looking more and more to adult stem cells. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, again, there's been a, a lot of discussion with stem cell research uh, just in the last three or four years, two, two or three years yep. with you know, what, what we've been discussing with vaccines here um, with the pandemic. So this is an interesting topic. Um, I don't know if I want to go into that part of the of the discussion, but I know there was a, a lot of discussion at that um at the point of the when the vaccines came out about were yeah were aborted fetus stem cells used yeah this is i think uh bill i'd like to encourage your listeners you know th- this is where christians can consider vocations in medicine yeah. uh in science where they uh can not only bring you know their intellectual abilities but they can bring their their moral principles uh, I would encourage doctors who are a little, you know, maybe unclear about how to sort through this to consult uh, some bioethical Christian philosophers who can offer advice. Mm-hmm. Question from a listener, Ken, I know you're not a doctor, so this may be out of your league, but can uh, these stem cells come from placenta? So can a, could a, a healthy mother say, here's the placenta and s- cells can be harvested from this? I think that's right. I, uh, again, I'm not I'm not a doctor. You'd have to do more research than from just me, but I think I've heard that. Okay, that's um, that's an interesting question. So, thank you for that uh, question. Uh, Ken Samples is my guest. He is at Reasons to Believe. He's a philosopher and theologian, and I have Ken on monthly. And I'm always glad when we get a chance to talk. And I have to admit, Ken, this is uh, uh, coming up on a, a holiday weekend. This discussion is not light, uh, but I appreciate the, what you're bringing to it and how Christians need to be thinking about these life and death ethical issues and be prepared to have uh, discussions with uh, people. So this is very helpful. So I'm going to take a little break, and then when we come back, we're going to talk about physician-assisted suicide uh, and then euthanasia and then capital punishment and then war. So these are going to be uh, several more topics that we're going to discuss with Ken. And if something has come up in the discussion that you've heard that you'd maybe like clarification on, I get that. Or if you've got a question that you'd like to ask Ken, I would welcome your text. You can send your question over to 877-933-2484, 877-933-2484, or you can email me, bill at myfaithradio.com. We'll take a little break and be right back with Ken Samples from Reasons to Believe in just a minute. Jump in your car. Yeah. What's for dinner? Hey. It's the afternoon 
Thank you for joining me today. I'm so glad to have Ken Samples as my guest. He's at Reasons to Believe. And we are talking about some uh, life and death ethical issues today. So it's not a light topic, but uh, Ken, you're handling it beautifully. Ken is a, a philosopher and theologian. He's a senior research scholar at Reasons to Believe. He's also author of several books, including Christianity Cross-Examined, Classic Christian Thinkers, and God Among Sages. So let's, uh, Ken, if we can, jump into uh, physician-assisted suicide. Yes, Bill, physician-assisted suicide is a type of euthanasia. So let me, let me explain it this way. There really are two types of euthanasia. Euthanasia might be defined as mercy killing or allowing a person to die. Now, active euthanasia is where where you actually take life. That might be, you know, I'm sick and have an illness, and I decide I don't want to suffer anymore, so maybe I kill myself. Or maybe I go to my doctor and say, look, you know, the illness I have is causing so much pain, economic crisis. Would you consider giving me a lethal drug? Now, that would be active euthanasia, where either the individual or maybe in conjunction with the doctor, a step is taken to take the life. So an active uh, choice to terminate a life. Now, there's another type of euthanasia, which is very important, and that's called passive euthanasia. That is, there are some times where people have stage four cancer, some illness that uh, medically speaking, it's never going to be reversed. The person may be close to death. And uh, by extending, um, you know, medical treatment, it just uh, it, it just extends the suffering. So Christian thinkers through the centuries, and particularly over the last 150 years, with tech, with the advance of technology, Christians have said, look, if if a person's death is is imminent, if it's going to occur, uh, and if prolonged treatment would only uh, you know, just extend the suffering, then you could choose to allow the person to go off uh, treatment and to and to die. That so active active is taking the life. Passive euthanasia is where you say, like in hospice, look, we can't cure you. We we can pray with you. We can comfort you. We can support you. And if and if you know keeping. I, I, I hate to use this kind of crass language, but, you know, if keeping the plug in the wall will just extend your suffering uh, rather than rather than restoring you to life, then a person can choose to be allowed to die. Christians have essentially said, and by Christians I mean Christian philosophers and teachers have said that passive euthanasia is morally acceptable. Active euthanasia is homicide and unacceptable. So there are many, there are many uh, countries in the West, in North America, Western, and, and Europe, that you can actually uh, get aid from your doctor to to take a life. And suicide is already a big issue, Bill. Uh, during the pandemic in Japan, there were more deaths to suicide than there were from COVID. Hmm. And there is also now what is known as uh, rational suicide, 
where people are getting older, they're living a bit longer with good science, technology, etc., healthy living, but they realize, hey, you know, uh, dementia is only a, a decade away. Why not uh, take my life where I, when I'm feeling okay? Why wait and to go to all the suffering? And they choose to take their life. Well, uh, again, it all depends on who do you belong to. Is your life yours or is your life God's? If God is the creator of the universe, the creator of the earth, the creator of all human beings, then we belong to him. And nobody likes to suffer, and especially nobody likes to see their loved ones suffer. Um, But passive euthanasia, and by the way, the word hospice, was developed by Christians in the early centuries who said, look, we can't seem to cure you, but we can comfort you. Mm-hmm. We can care for you. We can, we can hold your hand as you pass from this life. So th- that is that distinction between active and passive euthanasia. Yeah. There's a new story, Ken, of a former Studio 54 owner in New York, and he is right now planning his assisted suicide in Europe. And he's flown to Switzerland for his final uh, week and a half of life. And he's got a scheduled date for July 13th. And he's kind of saying, well, look, I get to do things on my terms. Yeah, and I, and I think that I, I think that kind of tells us a lot about the worldview. Yeah. Um, I would say I don't get to live my life on my terms. I, I have a Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And uh, I'm connected to that Judeo-Christian biblical tradition. Mm-hmm. So I don't get to live on my own terms. I make real choices, but, but ultimately my life belongs to God. And that tells us, you know, all these times we have met and talked about worldview and philosophy, how important those things really are. They're not just abstract ideas. At the end of our life, they begin to have real importance. Mm-hmm. Ken, I was wondering if we can spend a little bit of time. I had a text come in from a listener, and the text says, my 96-year-old aunt called me yesterday from California and told me she's following through with physician-assisted suicide because she can no longer do much for herself and requires 24-hour-a-day care. She's not a believer in God. I have strong faith in God. What can I say to her? Yeah, well, n- number one, I want to just extend my, my, uh, my concern for your, for, your, for your aunt and for you. Uh, again, I, I think people don't often realize that when, when you suffer, it not only affects you, but it affects all the people who care for you and love you. Uh, obviously, your aunt is is aged. Uh, there's no doubt in my mind that the quality of life, you know, has has dropped off as it does for all of us. But I might encourage you just to say, look, um, how about considering uh, traditional hospice care rather than physician assisted suicide? Why not consider a course where maybe you can be comforted? Uh, maybe drugs can be used to take the pain away, and you can allow death to take place. Plus, I would say, look, it, it also gives you an opportunity to to talk to your aunt about what's going to happen next. What happens in death? Is it just lights out, or do we come before the Lord our God? So you might consider maybe some discussion with with a, a doctor. Uh, 
with a hospice unit and see if that might be an option. Uh, and again, these are these are tough things, but you are the overseer, so you may have an opportunity to, you know, to give your aunt maybe some consideration for a different course. Mm-hmm. Ken, and I'll and I'll be praying. I'll be praying for you and your aunt. That's beautiful, Ken. What about when you get to this age in life and you, you maybe your your heart is hardened? How do you? How, what's the best approach to try to talk to your ninety six year old aunt to say, dear auntie? You know, you're you're not that far from being in eternity, and wouldn't you want to go to heaven and be with God? And how do you get around that hard heart? Yeah, well, it's 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 a great point, and it's something you know we all deal with. We all have relatives, we all have friends, we all we all know people who have kind of adopted a you know a more secular perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that there are things we can say. Um, you know, one of the things I like about Pascal's wager is it's kind of a, Bill, it's kind of a cost-benefit analysis. <laughs> it's just saying, look, you know, just, just like financially, you would say, well, you know, if I'm going to put my money in mutual funds or I'm going to do this, what, what, what are the costs? And then what are the benefits? And how do I a- analyze that kind of situation? I mean, practical people like to think that they're very pragmatic. They make decisions based upon what's good for them. I think I might say, look, you don't know exactly what's going to happen in death, but here are some options. And, you know, given, given your age, why not, why not side on the, the side of maybe considering that God does exist? and that we stand morally before God. Um, it, it, you know, I, I'm, not, I'm not talking about going to Las Vegas and shooting craps, right. but I am saying, look, sometimes faith can be very pra- practical and pragmatic. Mm-hmm. All right. Have we done our job of differentiating between the physician-assisted suicide and euthanasia? Yeah, and again, making that point that physician-assisted suicide would be active euthanasia, it could also be the, the only individual taking their life, right? And mm-hmm. uh, and and again, a lot of times when people try to commit suicide, it, it doesn't work, and a lot of times they they are able to get you know medication, they're able to get help. Um, you know, I think medicine has done pr- a pretty good job with helping people. Uh, take away pain. So, you know, it's not universal, but there's a lot of remarkable medications that can help ease the pain and allow the person, you know, to to decide to let de- let death take its course rather than a doctor or themselves extending, uh, you know, the choice of death. Yeah, and and well done. Hospice care is a beautiful, beautiful service that does alleviate pain and creates an environment where loved ones can be with other loved ones in those last weeks or days or however long. I have friends who are hospice nurses, and they just tell me these remarkable stories, you know, and and I love it. Again, Christians are always looking for ethical alternatives that can promote life and promote care. We don't have to accept these very, these very, you know, pragmatic, utilitarian, secular ideas. Mm-hmm. Ken Samples is my guest. He's at reasons2believe.org. You can go learn about him at reasons.org. 
he uh, is bo- both a philosopher and a theologian, so I always appreciate both sides of that coin that he has in his pocket. And we're talking today about some kind of difficult Christian views on life and death ethical issues. We've talked about abortion, infanticide, stem cell research, physician-assisted suicide, and euthanasia. When we come back after the break, we are going to chat about capital punishment and war. Those are what's left. If you've got a couple of uh, questions or thoughts you'd like to share, the text line is open. You can send them over to 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. We'll be right back. samples. He's at Reasons to Believe. Reasons.org is the website. You can learn more about Ken. He's a philosopher and theologian. We're definitely talking about some heavy issues today, life and death ethical ones. And I got a little bit of a follow-up text, Ken, um, to the uh, 96-year-old aunt. She told me that she will not be going to heaven. She's completely convinced that there is nothing to an afterlife. When she dies, that's it. I appreciate the counsel about hospice, yet she is firm in her decision. I'm quite sad. But I will use this next month to talk to her on the phone because I do that often, and then I'll fly to California to say goodbye. She'll be 97 on July 27th, the day she starts the process of dying. Wow. Well, I'm going to be praying. I know uh, the Holy Spirit. We just pray right now for her? Yeah. Yeah. Heavenly, Heavenly Father, we... We pray for this lady. We pray for her niece. Lord, I, I pray that you, by your Spirit, would open uh, her ears and her heart, uh, Lord, that she could hear clearly uh, mm-hmm. the message of the gospel, that salvation is a gift uh, through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So, Father, uh, bless her and bless her niece, and we, we put our trust in you. Amen. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much. And her name is Lee. So if any of you are thinking about praying for Lee, L-E-E, over Lee. the next uh, couple of weeks, please do pray that her heart yeah. opens up and that she is um, like that thief on the cross that says, yeah, that says yes at the last moment. Mm-hmm. All right. right, Ken, let's get back to a couple uh, remaining topics. Uh, the next one is capital punishment. I know this is very emotional for many. So let's get started. Yeah, the the last two, you know, the the previous ones. I think there's more consensus. It's it's not that all Christians hold the same views of the you know the first uh, five that we've talked about, but number six, capital punishment, and number seven, war. There's there's some differences here among conservative, theologically conservative Christians. There there are some people, for example, who'd say, look, I'm pro-life, and that means I'm pro-life for the unborn, but it also means that I don't believe in taking the life of a convicted criminal. Uh, I would support, you know, life imprisonment. So uh, there are other Christians who say uh, no. Uh, Even in the uh, book of Genesis, it says that if you take the life of somebody made in the image of God, that your life can be be taken. Um, So capital punishment 
uh, divides Christians. Some believe that that there are no exceptions to the pro-life position. Mm -hmm. Others would say, no, if you steal the life of the other, God has ordained government, and government has the right to take your life when you've stolen it from someone else. I personally support capital punishment. Um, I, I think, for example, that if our society were to indicate very clearly that there are dire repercussions for people who engage in murder, if you murder, your life can and will be taken. Now, of course, people then raise issues that are quite relevant. Uh, if somebody's life is at stake, it means that uh, the legal research needs to be done very carefully. Some people raise questions that maybe the poor people who are members of minority groups, they don't receive the kind of representation that maybe, uh, you know, a white affluent person. I'm open to all of that. Um, I, I think that anybody who commits a capital crime, uh, I think that there should be, you know, a rigorous legal representation. But if they are found guilty, I would support the taking of, uh, of a life. Now, again, I would go back to Genesis chapter 9, uh, that, you know, if you, uh, if you take somebody else's life, you're not only taking their life, but because they're made in the image of God, you're attacking God. Now, let me give the other side of the coin. Again, that other side is, look, uh, life has inherent dignity and value. And even people who have lived uh, lives of deep violence, their humanity, their dignity is, is not lost. So you're going to find Christians on both sides of that capital punishment de- debate. There was a Easter Sunday, Ken, uh, many years ago. I was in South Carolina on death row on Easter Sunday morning. I was wow. doing some work with uh, Chuck Colson's Prison Fellowship, and it was a remarkable experience, one I'll never forget, uh, to be standing in the death row section um, in a circle holding hands, praying and worshiping God with about 16 guys that were on death row who had completely given their life to Christ and were sold out for Jesus. And they were, it was one of the more joyful church services I've been to. And yet every one of these guys had a date. And I remember sort of casually chatting to one of them. I said, so uh, do you know what, uh, I'm stammering because I don't know how to ask the question. And he kind of looked at me and said, June 10th. <laughs> like wow. he knew what I was trying to get to, but I just couldn't spit it out. And I said, Oh, oh, okay. Uh, so June tenth is that a date set? He goes, "Yep." I go, well, "How you how you feeling?" He goes, "He goes, I'm deeply remorseful for my behavior and what I did, and I have come to faith in Christ, and I know that uh, when I close my eyes on that table, I will wake up in the presence of the Lord." You know, isn't this remarkable, Bill? That uh, that that God can bring good things even out of prison. I mean. Um, Sometimes my my mentor and teacher, Walter Martin, who was the original Bible answer man, he said, sometimes people will not look up till they're flat on their back. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that's through illness. Sometimes it's facing the reality that we have lived, uh, you know, an immoral criminal life. And uh, you see people like Chuck Colson, who goes to prison 
and his whole life has turned turned around. I encourage you get your listeners to consider being involved in a prison fellowship. Yeah. It is it is I've done it myself. I've gone to Terminal Island here in Los Angeles. I, I used to go there and I would take answers like I was doing the Lancer Man program. Boy, there were smart, thoughtful questions coming and I I got so much out of it and I know they did. And mm-hmm. so capital punishment is hotly contested and debated, but uh, we should reach out to everybody. The Bible tells us to to be concerned about widows and orphans and immigrants and prisoners. Yeah. Ken, what about the people in prison on death row who have been wrongly convicted? We certainly know that's going to happen, and it's, you know, there's people who have who are in prison. You know, we hear stories about it all the time. The, the DNA finally comes out, technology has improved. Per, turns out a guy who's been in prison for 26 years wasn't guilty, so they let him go. And that's that's an argument uh, against capital punishment. Uh, obviously, if we're going to believe, if we're going to put our confidence in a judicial system and in a government, that government and judicial system has to uh, it has to carry forth effectively and and morally. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, there there are exceptions. So again, the debate goes goes back and forth. Yeah. All right, we just have uh, about four or five minutes left. Let's talk about number seven, which is war. Again, war is a very controversial issue. Mm -hmm. There are three basic positions that Christians have said. Number one, pacifism. Pacifism would say, I will not take up arms in warfare. Uh, There is a a number of Christians through the centuries who have affirmed pacifism. It's, It's a small minority view, but it is nonetheless a perspective that, in fact, some of the early Christians held. Then you have selectivism, uh, and that's where just war comes in. So I'm going to hold on that. The other view is activism, where you would you would accept any particular war that your government would allocate. Bill, most Christians, I think, through the centuries have adopted just war theory. Just war theory was developed by people like St. Augustine, St. Thomas Aquinas, two of the big heavyweight uh, philosophical and theological thinkers within the Catholic tradition. Just war says, look, I will only fight in just wars, wars that are, are carrying out justice, and I will only fight them in a manner that is consistent with justice. That is a position I think most Christians have adopted through the centuries. Of course, the problem is that, um, you know, war is messy. There are challenges all around. Uh, How do you fight a war? My father was a combat soldier in the Second World War. Uh, Bill, the vast majority of soldiers killed by the Allies were enemy soldiers. On the other hand, for the Axis, more than 55% of the people the Axis killed were civilians. Well, I think that tells you there who was on the just and the unjust side. But again, you have places like Dresden. You have even people who argue against the dropping of atomic bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. So war is a challenging question, but it does come back to this idea, does an individual and then therefore a collective country have the right to defend themselves? You know, uh, I think it's clear that Russia invaded the Ukraine. I think the Ukraine have a moral right to defend themselves. So, again, warfare is 
is difficult. I mean, you have now in the the nuclear age, um, if you know that a country has nuclear weapons and there's a probability they may use them, would you set aside just war theory and use a preemptive strike? All I can tell you here, Bill, is these life and death issues are not easy, and Christians need to think about them and educate themselves so that they can uh, they can engage in voting, they can engage in you know our jury trials. This is why we need an educated populace, and this is why Christians need to love God with their minds. But I agree, Ken. This, these are not easy topics to sit around and think about. Um, and but it's important that we do think about these and come to some conclusions as believers. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, th- there are times where you have to say, "Look, I, I think I have a good case," but I also have to acknowledge that the other side has raised some challenging issues. So how do we how do we work? But of course, that's where we want to be able to vote for the very best people. We want the best representatives. Uh, you know, we live in a republic. Yeah. We want people who can represent our positions. Yeah. And that means we need to do some homework. I agree. Ken, thank you so much for being on the show. Are you the uh, grill master at your house on Monday? Well, uh, I know there's some hot dogs planned, and there's going to okay. be a lot of joy for this great country we live yeah. in. Amen. Thank you for spending time with us today. It's been a very interesting uh, discussion. I appreciate your insight and wisdom. Always my pleasure, Bill. Thanks Thank you. so much. Ken Samples has been my guest. You can learn more about Ken at Reasons.org. He um, is over there at Reasons.org. All right, we'll take a little break, and we'll be right back with Hour 2. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.